Good morning, SBC. Hope you're all doing really well. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers that are in the room and all the mothers that are joining us online. I remember giving my mom quite a few shocks as I was growing up. And one day when I was, I think, eight years old, I went off to school, came back, and I had six stitches here in my chin. And I was welcomed by the biggest hug. And, oh, for us, we still love you, don't worry. I had raced my friend home, lost, because I'd fallen and my two front teeth had gone straight through my bottom lip. So mothers, you're absolute stalwarts, you're legends. Thank you for all you do in our life. So we often read really encouraging verses um, about Jesus, such as imitate me as I imitate Christ. And we're encouraged when we see Jesus' kindness and his love uh, towards us. When we, we hear these things like, permit the little children to come unto me and my sheep will hear my voice and they'll come to me. It paints a certain picture for us of Jesus with these bright, white, fluffy sheep all around him. It looks so happy. But I think so many of us don't actually know what Jesus calls us to when he says that we are to imitate him. When he says that we are to take up our cross and follow him, he is calling us to do some of the toughest things that we will ever have to do in our whole life. And so for today, I'm going to be preaching on something that has been one of the greatest challenges that I have ever had to face in my whole life, and I'm pretty sure it will be for many of you in the room this morning as well. This is going to be something which is really difficult for you to apply to your life, but it's also one of the greatest evidences that God's Holy Spirit is at work in you. So today I'm going to be preaching on forgiveness. And just before I go into this very deep topic, I want to remind you of Jesus' subtle warning that he gives in Luke chapter 12, verse 48. He says that to those who much is given, much is also required. And so this is not going to be purely academic. This is going to be a very practical sermon. And hopefully from here onwards, we will be living our lives filled with forgiveness. And Jesus knows that we struggle in this area as well. I think if we're honest with ourselves, we will all admit that it's, it's not easy to forgive other people. But Jesus knows and he's very aware of the struggle, which is why forgiveness finds its way into the Lord's Prayer. But also, it is the only thing that Jesus elaborates on after the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer in the book of Matthew takes place from chapter 6, verse 9 to 13. Right afterwards in verse 14, he says these words. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. And so it's clearly a very important thing for, for us to apply to our lives, but right from the start, I want to clarify, I want to make sure that you guys are aware, just because you aren't able to forgive somebody or you haven't forgiven them yet, does not mean that you are now not saved. The Lord's Prayer starts off with our Father, which implies that we are children. And forgiving is a work, as much as it's a good work, we are not saved by good works. We are saved by putting our faith and our trust in Jesus. That being said, it's still very important for the good of our own relationship with God to make sure that we are forgiving those around us. And so for today, I'm going to push into the topic of forgiveness uh, by going to Matthew chapter 18, verse 23 to 35. And this is going to be the parable of the unforgiving servant. And while you guys are turning there, you'll, note, you'll see that this uh, whole chapter actually is really interesting. Because the parable of the unforgiving servant doesn't just stay by itself later on in the chapter. It all flows together, flowing right from the start of Matthew 18. Jesus is asked a really deep question at the start of Matthew 18. 
And that is, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And the rest of Matthew 18 is Jesus' response to this question of who is the greatest. And of course, who is it that asked this question to Jesus? It was his own disciples. And they were probably wondering, you know, maybe it's one of us. It has to be within the 12 of us. One of us is going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. But Jesus' response here really humbles his disciples. He, he instead says to them that the greatest in heaven will be those who humble themselves like a child. And you realize that every single thing that they have in their life has been a gift that God has granted them. He then goes on to say, make sure that you don't lead my children astray. And he says that while you're in the world, there will be temptations on every side, but woe to the person through whom these temptations come. He then goes on to tell us the parable of the lost sheep and how somebody would go and leave the 99 and go and save the one that is lost and how there's tremendous rejoicing that takes place in the kingdom of heaven when this happens. And finally, after all these responses, Jesus sinks his teeth into forgiveness. And he says that those who are the greatest in the kingdom of heaven take very seriously this need to forgive others. And this is all supposed to make us think of something. Because why was the reason that Jesus went into all these side avenues was because of that first initial question. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And so with each of those things that I've just mentioned, he's showing us that of course it is God. God is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And so he is the one who is giving these gifts to the children. He is the one who is making the mysteries of the faith known to children, even from a small age. We see it at Sunday school all the time. And he never tempts anybody, as we're told in James chapter 1, verse 13. <laughs> Look, I may have activated uh, Google there. Does anybody know where Dane is? <laughs> We've got Mark Wood on the, on the case there. I'm no expert, but we could. <laughs> okay. So we see from James chapter 1, verse 13, that God never tempts anybody, and so he's winning in that area as well. When it comes to leaving the 99 and going and saving the one, we see that God has gone way further than any of us have ever gone. And so he has launched his rescue mission from heaven to earth. There we go. <laughs> there we go. Thank you, Dane. Yay. <laughs> so God is the ultimate shepherd as well. So he has launched his rescue mission from heaven to earth, and he has saved the one. That would be us even though it cost him his only son's life. And finally, he ends off the final nail in, in this coffin of this question of who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven is where Jesus goes into forgiveness. And he says that only God can forgive perfectly and that God is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And so although these disciples must have been inquisitive and probably searching for a little bit of a pat on the back and some approval, Jesus very quickly redirects their attention to the one who will truly be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, and that is God himself. But just because God is gonna be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven does not mean that we don't want to emulate those uh, various pr uh, principles that he is putting forward there. So let us go a bit more in depth with this teaching on forgiveness today. Matthew chapter 18, verse 23 to 35. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. 
And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him and saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in the prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all of that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. It is quite a deep and hectic passage, but this is all in response to that initial question, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And what we can see from this parable is that it is most certainly the king who forgives the most here. And so God is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. That leads me to my first point for today, and that is God is perfect in forgiveness. In this parable, the king here is symbolic of God. And we can see that this king forgives far more than the other guy who didn't actually forgive anything. And in some of Jesus' other parables, we see that currency is mentioned as well. I'm sure you all remember the, the parable of the talents, where Jesus says that there were three servants and each one is given a different amount of money. One is given one talent, one is given two talents, and the other one is given five talents. If we just go and look at how much one talent of, of uh, gold would be worth in this day, does anybody have any ideas how much it would be worth? Any guesses? Peter? <laughs> no, not sure. One talent would be worth about 19,900,000 rand. So we'll call that 20 million rand. And that sounds like a lot, and it certainly is. But when we look at how much this wicked servant owed the king, we see that that number is absolute peanuts in comparison. You see, this wicked servant owed the king 10,000 talents. So in our day, that is 200 billion rand that he owed this king. That would equate to about 60 million working days, or this guy working for this king for about 200,000 years, and finally after that, being able to pay back the amount. And so it's an absolute impossibility for the servant to ever pay back the king. And he realizes that, he knows that he won't be able to come up with that sort of money, but he doesn't want himself to be sold, or his wife, or his kids, or everything that he owns. And so he desperately tries, and he says, just give me a little bit more time. Maybe I can try and come up with some more money, and then I will pay it back. And the king knows that he won't be able to. And the only way that this guy would ever be able to go free is exactly what happens in this parable, is that the king goes and he decides to show mercy to this wicked servant, and he forgives him of 200 billion rand. And what's amazing is that we see that the king's character is on display in this parable as well. You'll notice that the king is not angry with the servant. He is not resentful and filled with hatred because of this guy who's now cost him 200 billion rand. Instead, he forgives him. He absorbs that debt and he sets him free. 
what we see next is that this wicked servant responds very strangely to this king's generosity. He, he does not celebrate as we might expect him to. We'd probably expect to see him just praising and worshiping this king probably for the rest of his life in the throne room there. But instead, he, we see the exact opposite. He goes and he finds one of his own servants that owes him money and he demands that he is paid back very quickly, immediately, and very roughly as well. Now remember, he has just been forgiven of a debt of 200 billion rand. Any ideas how much his own servant owed him? 3,300 rand. 100 denaria translates to about 3,300 rand. It was a very manageable amount. It would have been an amount that his own servant almost certainly would have been able to pay in quite a short amount of time. And when he finally has this opportunity to repay somebody else and to forgive them because he has just been forgiven of 200 billion rand, he spurns the opportunity and he says, I'm sending you to prison. You're going to jail until you can produce the money. And so he locks him up. And this just reminded me of something that we so often see at NCO, Nahoon Community Outreach. We, we get the poor in and we feed them uh, warm soup and bread. And what happens almost every single week is we have a few latecomers. <laughs> and so we've handed out all the soup, the bread is all handed out, and then some guys rock up. And we see a very beautiful thing happening there. We give that guy who's late a little container, same size as the other guys, and he walks down the line. And we see these other guys with their full piping hot container of soup, and every single one of them pours a little bit of their own into this empty container. And then they each go and they each take a slice of bread and they give it to this guy who was late. And they all sit down together and they enjoy this meal together. And I feel like that is such a beautiful picture of what forgiveness should be like here at Sterling. You know, because we've been forgiven of so much and we have this full container, this 200 billion rand of our own that has been completely forgiven, we should now go and forgive others pour from that full container of forgiveness and show forgiveness to those people around you. But when we look at this parable, we don't see that at all. We see this, this guy and we almost begin to get irritated with him inside. Forgiven of 200 billion and then unable to forgive of 3,300 rand. And we, we're irritated with him. We think, you swine, you've just been forgiven of so much. How can you just go and put your own servant in prison for the very thing that you would have been in prison for? But what would happen if I was to reverse it a little bit? What would happen if I was to ask you, have you ever struggled to forgive somebody? It would probably get quite awkward quite quickly. Probably get some responses like, oh, Bryce, it's complicated. You know, we're quite good at coming up with a few reasons or excuses for, for holding on to this unforgiveness. But that leads me to my second point for today. And that is, why do we struggle to forgive? Because I think if we are honest with ourselves, we, we would all agree that there are certainly moments that we do struggle to forgive other people. There are sometimes moments we wake up every morning and that person is on our mind. Or what about this? If this is you, then you can know that you are struggling with forgiveness. When somebody has done something to hurt you and somebody else comes and says nice things about that person, if you feel yourself rising up and wanting to get defensive and shed the light on what that person is really like, then we struggle with forgiveness. And so this morning I'm hoping to highlight a few reasons why we struggle in this area, but also give you some helpful answers so that we can overcome it. And I think the first reason 
is because of our expectations. You know, we would look at certain people who are maybe a bit more brutish and harsh, and we would think, you know what, I really expect to be hurt by that person. I am on my guard when that person is around. But where we really get hurt and where unforgiveness can set in so easily is when we're hurt by those who are closest to us, when it's our spouses, when it is people at work, close friends who we thought really had our backs. And all of a sudden you find out that actually they've been saying terrible things about you or they do things that show that they really aren't concerned about you. And the great news is that Jesus perfectly can identify and relate to you when that is the case. In Psalm chapter 41 verse 9 he says, He who has shared my bread has lifted up his heel against me. Jesus was betrayed by one of his own disciples and he was then crucified by the very people that he came to save. You see, we would expect, if, we were, if they were told in that day and age, hey listen, the Messiah is going to come and he's going to be killed, he's going to be crucified. Everybody would have said, oh, it's the Romans. <laughs> the Romans are the brutes of the day. They have overtaken Jerusalem. They're busy occupying the town. But actually, what happens? Jesus is brought before the Roman ruler, Pontius Pilate, and he examines Jesus. And after quite a while of questioning him, Pontius Pilate says, he's a righteous man. I can find no fault in him. There is nothing wrong with him. And the crowd still kicks up a fuss, and so he washes his hands of the situation. He says, I will have nothing to do with that innocent and righteous man's blood. But then afterwards, we see that the Jewish high priests and the Pharisees take over, and they incite the crowd to go and crucify Jesus. And so it was those who were really closest to Jesus that ultimately betrayed him. And so when this has happened to you, man, you can 100% take it to God in prayer. Jesus fully understands what it is like to be betrayed by those who are closest to you. And we want to punish and we want to judge those who hurt us. And so we end up holding on to this unforgiveness as though it actually hurts that other person. But in reality, it doesn't. It often causes us to gossip or to say terrible things about that person. And that is also a sin. But the bottom line is that holding on to unforgiveness does not hurt that other person that is involved. If anything, it just hurts the person who's holding on to that unforgiveness because we are not made to hold on to unforgiveness. We are made to hold praises and worship for Jesus. And also, those people who are involved in the situation, almost every single time, either aren't aware or they don't really care, unfortunately, about what they have done to you. And so even if you were to sit them down and strap them into a seat and force them to do a polygraph test, they would pass with flying colors because they truly believe that they've done nothing wrong. And so it's really on us to make sure that we forgive them, release them. I think often what we try to do is we try to have these little tea parties or try to get a few other people to agree with our story. And we think if we just got a few more people to agree with us, then we'll feel so much better inside. But we all know that after unfruitful conversations like those, where we have just dragged somebody's name through the dirt a bit, it only becomes a breeding ground for more unforgiveness, for more bitterness, and for us to feel terrible afterwards. It's like us trying to get rid of the weed that is a dandelion by just kicking it away. You'll find that you can do that a few times before you have a whole field filled with dandelions and even more issues than you first began with. And you'll have a heart that is filled with bitterness and unforgiveness. So if you have to complain to somebody, be like the psalmist. Lay out every complaint that you have before God in prayer 
and take it straight to Him. And if I could just summarize all of these things, these reasons why we struggle so much in this area, I think it comes down to this. We don't trust God to be a good judge. And we would never say it like that, but what picture do you think it paints to the world when we always feel the need to defend ourselves the moment we've been wronged? As though we need to take everything into our own hands. Like we don't have the God of this universe to go and lay our requests before. Do we honestly think that we can do more about any situation than he can? No. And we've just done a whole series on faith over fear, and Matt and Joe showed us how a lack of faith affects almost every single area of your life. And this is another one. Over here, I'll give you another one today. A lack of faith in a God who is just will lead you to feel like it is your responsibility to defend yourself. It'll lead you to think that whenever somebody has done something terrible to you, it is up to you to go and punish that person. Usually not physically, but usually in the way that we assassinate their character behind their back. But even if we look throughout movies that have come out, we will see that the culture carries this idea strongly with them. We see movies like Rambo and John Wick, The Punisher, The Equalizer, and they all carry this idea that if you don't go and punish that person, then they're set free. Nothing will happen. Justice won't be done. But for you, Christians, when you forgive somebody, you need to know that they are not being set free, that nothing's going to happen to them. You're forgiving them truly, genuinely in your heart, but you're handing over the judgment to the only one who can perfectly judge in that situation, and that is God. In the words of Abraham, will not the judge of the whole earth do what is right? He most certainly will. My third and final point for today is that forgiveness is evidence of God's Holy Spirit at work in a person. It cannot be done in your own strength. And so one of the most powerful witnesses of God truly being at work in an individual is when they are able to forgive. It is powerful in evangelism. It is powerful in witnessing to other people. And it is powerful in showing the world that there is a God and that he is reconciling the world to himself. First and foremost, through Jesus Christ and what he has done for us on the cross, but now it is seen in lesser extents through his children who make up the body of Christ. And so I'm going to give you two really brief stories about how this has been a powerful witness to an unbelieving world. And the first, the first testimony that I'm going to be giving you is, is part of my own. It's my own story about how God has changed things around in my life. Because the forgiveness that I'm preaching to you today about is not something that is abstract to me. It's not something that I've just read about in the Bible or in a really good book. They are some deep waters that I have had to go through. And I cannot stress enough for you that it is so tough for you to forgive these people, but it is so beneficial as well. For you, for the people that are involved, and that God's name may be exalted. So going on to my testimony. I used to live on a farm just outside Grahamstown with my mom and my dad and my older brother. And unfortunately, some of our sheep kept disappearing. And so my dad went to go and speak to the worker who was watching the sheep to find out why that was. And long story short, he killed my father in front of me with a knife when I was five years old. And I had seen everything, and miraculously I managed to escape that day. But then for the next 10 years afterwards, 10 years, I was absolutely eaten up inside with feelings of bitterness and anger, hatred, most of all, unforgiveness towards this man for what he had done. 
My unforgiveness gave me very strong feelings of wanting to go and find him and kill him in front of his family because that was the most painful thing that I'd ever gone through in my whole life. God had a different plan. And so finally, after a 10-year struggle, I was able to actually forgive this man for the first time ever for what he had done to me. And it felt like this huge weight was just completely removed from my life. This weight of unforgiveness that I was never made to carry. And neither are you. And it brought such freedom as well. I cannot explain to you the freedom that you have when you're able to forgive somebody that you have between yourself and God the Father. It is incredible. And so one of the church and one of the reasons why I feel that I am qualified to preach this very tough topic to you today is because God has walked with me through this situation and he has taught me to forgive. And this load was completely removed from my life. It changed everything. And I need you to know that this morning, if you are struggling with unforgiveness and you're carrying this heavy weight that you're not made to carry, come to Jesus. His burden is light. His yoke is easy. And he will take away this load that you're not meant to carry. And he will instill in you a heart that is filled with joy and lasting satisfaction. I just want to stress the point as well that forgiveness is not always instant. It wasn't, for me, it took me 10 years, but I can also say with absolute assurance that for me, those 10 years were mostly me trying to do it in my own strength. I'm sure it would have been a lot shorter if I'd come to Jesus sooner. Forgiveness is always better when it is done sooner. So make sure that you come to Christ as soon as you can. Ask him to help you forgive those people who have plundered things from your life. When I forgave, my whole life changed. I didn't want to go and find that other person anymore. God ended up drawing me into the ministry and I've used my testimony time and time again to show that God has incredible power and that when you go and you rely on God, there is nothing that you can't forgive. Man, he has helped me to forgive that guy regardless of what has happened and he can do the same thing for you. It is possible, but I could never have done it without God. And I've saved best for last, and that is the life of Jesus Christ. But before I go into the last part of point three, I want you to ask yourselves the question, why does God hate unforgiveness? And I know hate is a really strong word, but if we look at our parable today, we see somebody who was imprisoned until they could pay an unpayable debt because they spurned the forgiveness that this king in the parable had offered them. And the king in the story hates unforgiveness. The king is symbolic of God. So why does God hate unforgiveness? Let's look at the life of Christ. Because he is somebody who's completely innocent in all matters. And if ever there was a moment where somebody could have played the victim card or said that unjust things were happening to them, this was the moment. Jesus, perfect in every way, being crucified for no sins of his own. But Jesus didn't even accuse or bring out a single bad thing about the people who were busy hurting him. Take very careful notes of that. He made intercession for them, he prayed for these people, and he forgave them because he loves them. And he was dying there for their sins. And while he's busy dying there, you'll remember that they actually dare him to step off the cross. They say, if you will just come down from the cross, we will believe everything that you say about yourself. But Jesus knows that if he had done that, those people would have been eternally lost. No sort of atoning sacrifice would have ever been able to cover those people. And so he stays there and he is crucified 
because he loves them. He's after this forgiveness. And often, you know, when, when we've been really hurt by people, we need a time out. We need to remove ourselves from that situation. We don't want our emotions to rise up and what's really going on in our heart of hearts to come out and really unload on a person and cause tremendous damage. But just admire the depth and the magnitude of our Savior in this moment. We see that he has been whipped and tortured. They've pulled his beard out. They've mocked him. They've punched him. They've twisted together a crown of thorns and they've pushed it into his scalp. And he is now crucified and he's slowly dying there absolutely unable to remove himself from the situation. And what's really going on in his heart of hearts comes out in this moment. And it comes out as this, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. So the debt that Jesus was busy absorbing was infinitely greater than anything that has ever been done to you or to me. And yet he still forgives them because he loves them. In the words of John Piper, you cannot forgive somebody else more than God has already forgiven you. It is impossible. And that is why God hates unforgiveness. It is an absolute failure for you to not see all that you have gained in Christ. To see the, the treasure and the immeasurable worth of what you have in Him. It is like our 200 billion rand debt has been completely gone and now somebody cuts in front of us in traffic and we have to hold it on to them. We have to dwell on that for the rest of the day. Whatever you are dwelling on and thinking about is what you are glorifying. And you are glorifying other people's sins against you instead of glorifying the God of this universe who has set us free. Another reason why God hates unforgiveness so much is it goes completely against his work of reconciliation in this world. You will notice that God is busy reconciling the world to himself. What does our unforgiveness do towards God's work in reconciliation? It forces people apart. It gets us to say terrible things about each other and it goes completely against God's work of reconciliation. Do not make yourself an enemy of God by holding on to this unforgiveness. It is not worth it. Release those people. Forgive them. Show them the same forgiveness that Christ has shown you. And if we see this wicked servant in this parable, he's forgiven of an almost infinite amount and he is not able to go to his own servant and show him forgiveness. And he wants to be shown forgiveness himself. Did you notice that? When it comes to his own account, he says, please help me, I don't want this to happen. Ah, but when we show other people forgiveness, we must make sure that we are not like this wicked servant. Absolutely devoid of understanding what has been done for us in Christ. We need to dwell on what he has done for us, turn our eyes to the cross, focus on everything that he has done, and see that God has covered our own filthy deeds. We want to go and air other people's filthy deeds now. And I think when we truly understand that, when we look to the, to the cross and we see what he has done for us, we will drop our swords. And we'll drop the, the lists that we subconsciously carry of people's names who have wronged us. And we will forgive those people. And again, I want to make sure that this is very clear for you this morning. It is not easy at all. I struggled for a very long time to be able to forgive. And I'm sure for many people here, you will also struggle to forgive these people. And sometimes you're going to have to daily wake up with that person on your mind and set them free. Forgive them. But it is the best possible outcome. 
we're told also that Christ's followers will be known by their love in John chapter 13, verse 35. And what love does is it has this principle where it covers a multitude of sins. Love realizes that we ourselves aren't perfect and that the people that we're going to be interacting with on a daily basis are also not perfect. And so now because we are filled with the love of Christ, we are to go out and forgive other people. And the world is waiting. They're waiting to see where this forgiveness is going to come from, who's going to extend it to them. There's a story of a father and son from Spain, and they were really good at arguing with each other, and they used to, they used to knock heads a lot. And the son's name was Paco, which was a common name in Spain at the time. And Paco decided that he was going to leave home. And so he runs away from his father's house, runs off to Madrid to try and become a matador. And the father, because he loves his son, follows him. And as he gets to Madrid, he can't find his son. And so he places an ad for, for him in the newspaper. And the ad said this, Dear Paco, I forgive you. I love you. Please meet me at the newspaper main office in Madrid tomorrow at noon. And the next day it was reported that there were around 800 Pacos all seeking this forgiveness. You see, the world is waiting. The world is waiting to see where this forgiveness is going to come from. Let us, as the body of Christ, be the first ones to swallow our pride and to extend forgiveness to these people. But it's not going to be easy. So I just want to give a few practical tips when it comes to applying this sort of forgiveness to your life. Firstly, you must know that when you decide in your heart to go and forgive somebody, Satan is going to come and drop some sly thoughts in your heart. And they will be something along the lines of, are you really going to let that person get away with it? Are you going to turn yourself into a doormat by not kicking up a fuss here? By not, you know, telling all your friends what that person has done? And I want you to constantly remind yourself, God is a good judge over the whole earth. He will do what is right. And when you go and you decide to forgive somebody, you are not letting them off the hook. You are forgiving them in your heart and you are handing over the judgment to the only person who can judge perfectly in any situation and that is God himself. Look at how Paul handles this situation as well. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14, he says, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. End of story. We don't have a whole extra letter written by Paul on the deeds of Alexander the coppersmith, all the terrible things that he did. He, had, he acknowledges that it was wrong, hands him over to God, end of story. Next, forgiving somebody does not always mean that the relationship that you had with that person is going to be fully restored every time. There is certainly space for you to genuinely forgive that person in your heart, but then for that relationship to not be fully restored. And I'll take it a step further as well. There are certain cases where terrible things have happened to people. They've maybe been molested or raped, and there's certainly space for you to forgive that person, but then also to report them to the authorities, to make sure that they don't go on doing terrible things and hurting other people. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, it tells us that all things are laid bare before God. He knows all things about us, and yet he doesn't choose to reveal the worst parts of ourselves to the world. Let that be our blueprint. Even when people have hurt you, don't go and air their dirty laundry behind closed doors. Be very careful about what you say. Next, my, my closing point is that lots of us have this idea that when that person feels sorry for what they've done, when they are truly sorry, when they deserve my forgiveness, then I will go and I will forgive them. 
I want to remind you that Jesus calls us to be merciful as our heavenly Father is merciful. And that the mercy that we have been shown by Jesus is completely undeserved. And so we need to now go and show that mercy to other people as well. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We have done nothing to deserve God's forgiveness. And yet he has shown it to us. And so we need to make sure that we are not like this wicked servant from our parable today. Not holding on to this tiny little 3,300 rand when we have been forgiven of an almost infinite amount. We are to go forward, remind yourself daily of what Christ has forgiven you of and forgive and release these people who have things against you. Mark's gonna lead us in a time of response. Thanks, Bryce, for that powerful message. I'm going to ask you just to close your eyes. We're going to spend some time just contemplating what we've heard this morning. Some really powerful truths have been shared with us. I want you to think about um, the truth that God has totally forgiven you. Ask him to reveal that truth to you. Ask him to help you live in that truth. We don't have to keep beating ourselves up over things that have happened in the past that we can't change. You are totally forgiven as you sit here this morning, believer. I also want you to think about the things that have been done to you that are hard to let go of. I think we can all relate to unforgiveness some way. Some of us might even be carrying it now. And if God's just prodding something in your heart as we're being quiet and praying now, then he's wanting you to give it over to him, as Bryce has said. To hand it over to him, to trust him with it, to be the judge, the right judge. And we need God's help to do that because it's hard to let go of these things. And we're going to come around the communion table in a, in a moment and it's a beautiful picture of the total forgiveness that we've received because of what Jesus has done on the cross. When we take this bread and this juice, we remember the sacrifice and the punishment that he took. It was meant to be for us, but he took it. And we are forgiven. It's over. But we must examine our hearts. We mustn't take this bread and this juice lightly this morning. It would be better for us to pause and make things right with someone today that we maybe need to, and then to come to this and celebrate that forgiveness.
So I'm going to call you up in a moment. I'd like the uh, people that are going to help uh, hand out the bread and the juice to come up. I just want you to ponder some of these thoughts. I'm going to lead us in a prayer and when um, I finish praying, if you feel ready to come and uh, partake, I want to invite you to do so. Um, it's wonderful to do this. It's wonderful to come and remember what Jesus has done. It helps us to savor the gospel in our hearts. It helps us to apply the sermon that we've heard to us this morning. Lord, we are so grateful Lord, that this morning we sit in your presence totally forgiven by you. And for those of us who have placed our faith in you and our trust in you, we know this. We've experienced it. And this morning we are reminded of that. And we say thank you, Lord. Thank you that we don't have to prove anything to you. Thank you that um, we, the, there's nothing we can do to make up for the mistakes that we've made except to just say thank you thank you for your mercy thank you for your kindness thank you for your grace but I also just as I'm praying just sense if there's someone in the room here who has never yet bowed their knee to Christ and maybe you have felt guilty and ashamed over a lot of things that you've done and you feel that this just can't be for you because of those things. The message to you this morning is that God loves you and He forgives you. But you must choose to put your faith in Him. You must choose to surrender your life to Him. And you can do that this morning. Nothing you've done can separate you from Him. If you hear that message clearly this morning, I want to encourage you to in prayer now, come to Him. Come and receive His forgiveness. And Lord, if there's people in our lives that You've been speaking to us about as we've heard the sermon and even during this prayer time now that we need to make right with, I pray, Lord, that You'd give us conviction and opportunity to sort that out as soon as possible. We don't want to carry something that we were never meant to carry. We want to give it over to you. Help us to do that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So when you're ready, I want to invite you to come up. There is bread and there's juice. You can come and uh, collect and keep it with you. Once everyone's got, we will partake together. Come when you're ready.
wants God, let's eat and drink together. for you, free to worship you. And as we move now into a time of response in worship, Lord, we're praying that your spirit would come and move in power in our hearts. Would you speak to us powerfully through these words, these lyrics, this music. May you enjoy our worship as we worship you now.
Apart from you, we can do nothing. We need your Holy Spirit, Lord. We need your living water. And that's what we're calling upon now, Lord. Would you come and fill us, Lord? Fill us with your Spirit. Your powerful Spirit, Lord. The only thing that can break the darkness. That can win the fight, Lord. Call upon you, Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Move among us. Come, Holy Spirit. Flow living water. Flow within us. Flow living water. Your love is alive. stirred to pray for our nation we know that things are hard at the moment it's tough out there leadership crisis and I'm sure you've had that on your heart some of you and been praying for that and I really just feel even as a congregation now I would just love for us to respond this is such a wonderful song multi-language a reminder that um, we're a God of many there's many cultures in this nation and it's God is a God of many cultures. He's made them all. And I really feel like God wants us to respond and to pray to Him. And as tough as things are out there, and as difficult as it is, when we pray, we lift our eyes above that. We look at who God is. We look at how powerful He is, how sovereign He is. Habakkuk gave us a wonderful example of this. He lived in a crisis things were going terribly in his nation but when he prayed his eyes were on the king and he knew that God was going to win and God is going to come through and I really think we we can do something powerful as a church now I just like you to as a sign of unity I'll lead us in this prayer time as the music plays just lift your hands we're going to intercede for our nation together we're going to lift our eyes up to who God is we're going to remember him how powerful He is, a God of the nations, who is in control of everything. 
Lord, we want to respond to you this morning. We want to lift up South Africa to you. You are not far away. You are not far removed. You are near. You see. Lord, we want to pray for those who lead this country. They are in leadership, Lord. Your word says that you are the one who sets the governments in place. And we want to pray, Lord, that you would raise up godly men to lead this nation, Lord. We want to pray, Lord, that if there are men in leadership who are causing division and who are not for what is beneficial to this country, then, Lord, we want to pray that you would remove them. We want to pray, Lord, that you would replace them with men who would honor you and make wise decisions for the benefit of everyone around them. We thank you, Lord, that in a time of great difficulty, in a time of struggle, we can look to you. You are our safe place. We trust you. You are bigger than this. Your arm is not too short to save. We pray, Lord, will you turn the hearts of the nation to you. May people turn their hearts to you. Would you bring revival into our land? Will the church stand up again, Lord? Not just as a puppet or an image, but would you bring real life through your spirit? May the Holy Spirit flow through your church again, Lord. May a real vibrant relationship lead us to share our faith and to speak boldly for you. And would you stir up revival in this nation at this time? May many hearts turn to you. May many hearts respond in worship to you. Strengthen your churches again, Lord. Send out your gospel. Your gospel shall not yield. It shall not faint. It does not bow. And as we sing the song to you, Lord, we want to worship you this morning. We want to sing praise to you, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who is the God of all nations, the God of this nation. Thank you that we can trust you for the good of this country. Come, Lord, come and move in power. Let's sing the song one more time.
sorry, church. I've just got one more thing that I was sharing with Mark that's strong in my heart. As Mark was praying, and I really believe the Lord's working here, he just said um, one big thing. He said, I'm going to use some bold language here. South Africa does not belong to the English, does not belong to the Afrikaans, does not belong to the Kosa, does not belong to the Zulu. And I felt like in our hearts, within us as, as a people in this nation, we have this fear of they're going to take what's mine or I'm going to take what's mine. And I just felt the Lord say clearly, SBC, South Africa does not belong to you or me, it belongs to Him. And we have to carry that as a church in this season. We, what, is it, what is in our hands is not ours, it's God's. And we enjoy it from His hand. And I feel we've got nothing to lose. As Mark was praying, we've got nothing to lose in the gospel. Is that as we give Christ, the promise is we can't outgive God. And so for us, we mustn't be motivated by fear. Oh, we're going to lose something or we need to get something. No, my friend, it's all God's anyway. And I just want to pray, Lord, for us as a church, I just want to say amen to what Mark's prayer. But I want to pray for us, Lord, to be a people open-handed, recognizing none of this belongs to you, me, to us. Lord, it belongs to you, all of it. I pray, Lord, that we would be a people that understand the kingdom in this time, that we would see it's a great privilege to enjoy these things from your hand. But Lord, ultimately, it's for your glory. And so come, Holy Spirit, start a work in us today, Lord. We need to have a church that resembles what true forgiveness looks like. We need to have a church that resembles what true reconciliation gives us. How can we withhold reconciliation when we've been reconciled to God? We pray, Lord, start us on this journey. I really believe, Lord, this morning you've started a work. And we want to say, Lord, we want to flow with it. We want to recognize that this is not ours. It's yours. And so come and take your glory, we pray. Your church, we're at the end of the service here, but I'd love for us to just sing out this chorus one last time. And uh, it's uh, um, coffee and stuff's happening under the tent at the end. I know you've probably got Mother's Day lunches and all sorts planned. Let's just sing this chorus one more time, celebrate uh, what uh, God has been saying to us this morning. And then once we finish singing the song, you can head out and enjoy the day out there. that we can go out with confidence because you are with us, Lord. Bless your name. Bless your church. Hallelujah.